The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. You see this? This is a uh, this is one of those bandanas. I got to the office today and I didn't have a handkerchief and I had a an old biker that comes to church about the time I get here. They go get kids to bring them to the house of the Lord, him and another guy and a lady. He said, here, Pastor, you can use my handkerchief. <laughs> so I'm using a bandana today. If I, if I don't do good, I'm going to put it on like Willie and preach like Willie, okay? <laughs> good to see everybody. Good to see everybody. Now, uh, I, uh, I want to declare that I'm starting a life group. It's interest-based. It's called the Bluebell Life Group. Um, <laughs> Corey and I, Corey is going to be my vice president. Corey Redding is going to be my vice president, and I'm the president of Bluebell. And we're not going to meet. We're just going to text each other when we have ate a bowl of Bluebell. <laughs> so we'll know that another one of our brothers and sisters have just bid into Bluebell. All right? Corey's been promised me he's going to take me down there to, uh, what's that name of that town? Brenham. Brenham. Yeah, down there to the, to the creamery. And uh, there's no telling what kind, of, what kind of nationality of ice cream I'll find in there. I'll allow to come out like this, but you know, we really need to do this. I, I'm, you think I'm teasing, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of serious about it. We need to do this. We need to put our, if you're a bluebell liker, you like bluebell, you don't love it, you dislike it, and you enjoy it because it puts poundage where it shouldn't be. But because of that, you need to, you need to sign on to the bluebell life group, and let's just have some fun with it, okay? And for seven weeks, let's just kind of indulge in a little bluebell together. I mean, we got summer past us, and so we can put a little weight on in the fall. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? I'm teasing. Would you stand? You're awesome people. I love you very much. And it's been a great, great day. Uh, the, the honor of being able to be in church, you know, today. I know many of you uh, follow, follow after the things that have been said in science and the astronomers and what they have talked about with all the stars and how things have lined up. And they're in a perfect alignment like they have never been since Adam's time. And they've gone back as far as Adam's time to try to delineate how that this has come together so beautifully in this hour. And so many people thought that perhaps it was the end of the world, that the end of the world was coming, that the end of the world, but, uh, or maybe the catching away of the church, which is not the end of the world, but is a, it's a form of the saints going home to be with the Lord. And so there's a lot of things that were perpetuated and talked about. And many people probably set deadlines and talked about that. But I told you if the Lord did not come, we talked about this back in June. And I said, if the Lord does not come, we're going to be here at church on Sunday morning, September the 24th. And here we are. And I believe it's because of the mercy of God, the mercy of God. But I do think yesterday, I do think yesterday was kind of like a B.C. and A.D. when Christ was born. Everything started on a new calendar. And I think the new calendar happened yesterday. I think there's a new calendar being clicked now, and I think we are officially probably in the end times. Uh, things are just uh, the way they are because we are living in that hour. I'm not going to preach about that today, but I just want you to know it's an honor to be in church today. Amen? It's an honor to be in church today. It really, really is. And uh, if you're a guest here today, we honor you and we thank you for being here. You're a great people. I don't preach long. I hope I preach decent enough to hold your attention a little bit. But I'm going to talk to you today about two great truths. I'm going to talk about two great truths today. Um, and I'm going to read from the book of Psalms. Wow. The 23rd chapter. You hear it at a funeral. You hear it 
every place. But I'm going to read the last verse. David said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Colon. Colon. Not a comma. Colon. And I shall dwell or will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we're going to talk about that today. I want you to repeat after me these phrases. Jesus loves me. In spite of me. <laughs> Some of us are unlovable. I must receive that love to be what God wants me to be. It's not the love you give away that makes you grow. It's the love that you can receive that makes you grow. If you can't receive love, then you'll never grow in this thing called the grace of Christ. You've got to receive it. Giving it away is not the answer. Receiving it's the answer. So everybody say, I receive the love of God. You may be seated. You're awesome people. I won't be lengthy. God bless you. There's a Peanuts cartoon strip, and uh, little Lucy is known to be the ever-ready, unsolicited advice columnist to Charlie. He's, she's playing right field in a baseball game, and Charlie Brown is pitching, and she hollers from right field, let's win one for a change today, Charlie. And Charlie then throws his first pitch to the batter, and he hits the ball to right field. Lucy makes no attempt to catch it. She just stands there and does nothing. And Charlie Brown yells at her, if you're so interested in winning, why didn't you try to catch the ball? To which the defiant Lucy replies, my role is strictly advisory. <laughs> I love that. And you may think my role today is strictly advisory. But I want to talk to you about something that I feel very confident about. I read about a little five-year-old boy named Timmy who was going to kindergarten and his mother was nervous. She was worried about him going to school, even though he had a couple little boys, friends that went with him, little buddies. And finally, he, on about the third day, he comes home and he says, Mom, I don't want you, I don't want you walking with me to school anymore. She, he said, I want to be a big boy like everybody else, and they come without their mother. Let me just go to school. And so the mother did not want that to happen because she was very cautious with this little baby. And so she went to her neighbor, and her neighbor's name was Mrs. Goodnest. Mrs. Goodnest. If she would observe her boy because she walked a baby in a stroller and a little child named Marcy next to her. And they'd walk every day toward the school and back. And then they'd do it in the afternoon, walk and come back. And so Mrs. Goodnest told her that she would do that. So the next few days, Mrs. Goodnest and her little daughter Marcy and the, and the little daughter in the stroller were following these little boys. And finally, coming home one day, one of the little fellows looked at Timmy and said, Who is that woman back there? She's been following us every day. And Timmy said, oh, I know who she is. Said, She's a friend of ours. And she said, well, what in the world is she doing following us every day? He said, well, every night my mom makes us read the 23rd Psalm and then we have to say it out loud because she worries about me so much. And in that Psalm it says, surely goodness and Marcy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's funny. I don't care who you are. So I guess I, he said, I, I, I just have to get used to it. When David said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, he declared two awesome truths. Those two qualities have to be the Lord's best. They would never leave him in any situation. God's best is with us forever. There are at least 12 occurrences in the Old Testament that exclaim, His mercy endures forever. Twelve is the number of completeness. Twelve, 12 tribes, 12 apostles, 12 foundations. It's the number of completeness in life. 
So when the Lord completely tells you His mercy endures forever, it really, really does. I want to speak my first point today simply as this. His mercy does endure forever. Say it. His mercy endures forever. That's God speaking through man about Himself. His mercy, he's a mercy giver. That He says that I will give it forever. I was raised, folks, in a church that taught if one sinned and did not make it right in a certain amount of time that they'd probably die in tragedy or some disease or some horrible situation would come upon them and they would never be the same. My mom and dad embraced that because we were taught that and because of that the fear of failure loomed in my heart horribly and there's a lot of ministers in pulpits today that battle guilt and battle that intrepidation because that's how they were raised, the tough side of life. In my life, I've learned that God may have to get our attention sometime, but He's not for our destruction or for our downfall. When I see the Lord, I see Him lifting people up. I see Him giving people hope. He's a God of salvation. He came to save, to seek and save that which was lost. Not to kill me, not to harm me, not to do me in. And if that goes against your belief, I am so sorry. But as pastor of this church, I have the power to remit, and this church does, and retain sin. I really, really do. God has given apostolic authority to that. And so if a pastor's spirit is one that remits and allows people chance after chance after chance after chance after chance, that's God's blessing through him. If I choose to retain sin and hold it against you, then that's my privilege also. I want you to know you're in a house today. You're in a house today that does not retain sin. We're in a house today that remits sin because where there is love, love covers a multitude of sin. And for the last 27 years I've been pastoring this church knowing that people make mistakes. Some of you made a, made, made, made a mistake last night, some Friday night. Some might have made one Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And you can't wait to get out of church to make another one today. But I will tell you this with everything that's in me, that when you walk in this house, there's a mercy code in this house. There's a grace code in this house that God can give you a fresh start and a new beginning wherever you are in your life. Clap your hands for that. That's good stuff. I have chosen in this church to battle the real enemy. And I will battle and bind Satan in this house. And remit the sins of people who want to live for God but are weak in some areas. And I want to tell you something. You watch God. He's not headed down a destruction path for us. He's given us a path of righteousness to walk on. Let me tell you a little bit about, about mercy if I can. There, there were three buildings in the Bible, and, and I, it's a little history, and so just stay with me. There's no funny stories here. Just a little history. When Moses built the first tabernacle in the wilderness, there was a place called the Holy Place, and then there was a Holy of Holies. The Holy Place was like 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, and 15 feet tall. And then there was a, a super holy place called the Holy of Holies that was 15 by 15 by 15. In other words, wide, depth, and height. And in that Holy of Holies was what we call and what you've heard about, perhaps in movies or reading the Bible, an Ark of the Covenant. That they said, how's the presence of God? But God did not live in that Ark. He lived on the top of that Ark in a place called the Mercy Seat where the high priest would come with blood once a year and pour that blood on that mercy seat and then pour, pour uh, have the smoke in the house. And God would come down and honor the sacrifice with a fire and the priest would go back outside and tell the people that their sins had been rolled ahead. 
So it was the mercy seat. God dwelt between the cherubims. There were two cherubims, one on either side. Cherubims are just simply look like angels with wings. They were made out of beaten gold. They were not molded. They were not exact, but they were different. God loved differences in church. And when they were on either side, their wings touched, but their eyes focused on mercy. Because nobody in this house needs to look at somebody else's sin. We all need to understand that we need the mercy of God in our life. Everybody needs to look on the mercy of God in this house. Amen. Everybody. So when Moses built that, that became the first church. Now, when Solomon came, that church was mobile. But when Solomon came, God wanted a permanent house. And so David, his father, had made the purchases and had brought the lumber and brought all the people together. And Solomon just had to put it together because David had too much bloodshed in his life and the Lord wouldn't let him build a house. So Solomon built this house. Now David did say, make room for the mercy seat. Make room for mercy in the house. And Solomon did. If you read the story in 1 Kings chapter 6, the the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, was 60 feet long. It was 20 feet wide and twice as high, 30 feet. So everything was larger. In fact, the the cherubims that Solomon built were massively larger than Moses that sat on top. These cherubims covered wall to wall. In other words, Solomon said, we're going to have mercy from wall to wall in this house. It's going to be a massive house. And then... Then the third house was built. The the Israelites were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And and, and they stayed there for 70 long years. And when Ezra and Zerubbabel came back to rebuild the house of God, they built it not in seven years but in seven months. But when they put it together, you'll read this in Ezra the sixth chapter, you'll find the dimensions of that Holy of Holies. It was 60 feet high and 60 feet wide. Here's what I'm telling you. Every time, oh I love this. That God built another church. He made one part larger than the last time. It was always in the place where the glory was, where the ark was, and where mercy dwelt. He wanted His mercy to be bigger and bigger and greater and greater and more massive and more awesome in every church that He built. In every building that He built. And I'm here to declare right now. That in the New Testament, this church has to have mercy running from wall to wall, treetop tall. Come on, we need mercy in our house. We don't need judgmentalism in this house. We need the mercy of God. We need the grace of God to abide in this house. Clap your hands and rejoice to that. That's the Word of God. Now, now, Solomon's cherubims were big. They were massive. But then here comes Jesus. God manifests in the flesh. He's the biggest mercy ever. He came to heal. He came to save. He came to deliver. He came to set free. Not to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. And at the cross, folks, He stood, as it were, north and south. There were poles on both sides, north and south. But His arms reached east and west. There was no limit to His mercy. There was no limit to His love. And when the first drop of blood fell from his body to the creation, there was a mighty, mighty earthquake. And a veil in the house of God was rent in twain from top to bottom. Because behind that veil rested the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And that veil was rent in twain and fell apart. In fact, biblical scholars said it was like sand. It just melted like sand. There was no way to put it back together. 
Because God said when grace came and when mercy showed its face and mercy and grace died for us, then mercy was released to the whole world and mercy came running out. And I'll be John Brown, I'm sorry to say that, I'll be John Brown if I'm going to try to stitch back that veil and put it back into the proper place. Mercy's running free today. Mercy's running abstractly free today. And we need to grasp it and understand that the mercy of God is with us now. And David said, every time I turn around, every time I look behind me, I see goodness and I see mercy following me. There's something powerful about that. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're going. It doesn't matter what your name is. It doesn't matter what your income is, what your education level is. When he said mercy and goodness is going to follow me, it meant that everybody that walks in this life will have goodness and mercy following them all the days of their life. And I rejoice in that right now. In fact... In Exodus chapter 25, the dimensions of the mercy seat are given. The length and the breadth are given. Everybody say length and breadth. But not the height and the depth. It's like God is saying you can measure it horizontally all you want because that's you doing it. But you're not going to measure it vertically. That's me doing it. Whatever you judge one another, that's your business. But don't don't tell me how I'm going to judge people that maybe you've judged not right. I want to declare everybody matters in this house here today. And you may be judged horizontally by somebody in this house that don't like you and don't care about you and thinks that you don't even need to be here. But the Lord said, we're not going to measure that ark this way because that's mine. Okay? That's mine. And I'm going to look at you the way I look at you. And His mercy endures forever. Clap your hands. You need to get happy about that. It's not how man looks at you. It's how God looks at you. Hallelujah. Mm. The greatest sermon Jesus ever spoke was called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Blessed, 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 blessed. That word literally means mercurious, which means happy, 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 happy. And the fifth of the nine Beatitudes, there were nine. The fifth of the nine was, guess what? Blessed are the merciful. They shall obtain mercy. The fulcrum of all nine of the Beatitudes was blessed are the merciful. In other words, the thing that brings balance to your life is when you show mercy and when you give mercy to somebody else. If this church is going to continue to be the church that God wants it to be, we, don't, we need to take the measurements off of our, our, our mercy seat. God said we're not going to measure it this way. It's just measured this way. We need to take the measurements off because he stopped a man in Zechariah chapter 2 from measuring Jerusalem. He said, don't measure this city because it's going to be a city without walls. I'm going to be a fire about this city. In other words, there's not going to be a wall to hold in or hold out what I'm going to do. God have mercy to this city. I'm going to be a fire around this city. I want the Holy Ghost fire to be around this church. Because when we walk in, we let everybody participate in what God's doing. When we walk in, everybody matters in this house. When we walk in, nobody is an outcast. Nobody's a downcast. Nobody's a nobody. Everybody's a somebody around here. And everybody needs the mercy of the church of God because God has shown mercy to all of us. Turn around and say, goodness and mercy are following me. And if it's following me, I've got to show it to somebody else.
So what is mercy? What is mercy? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. We all need mercy. Anybody messed up this week? Put your hands down. I don't want you to confess it. You should have got something, but you didn't get it, did you? We get his best instead of what we deserve. Because God didn't dwell in the ark. He dwelt between the cherubims in a place called the mercy seat. That's why the blue haze of the Shekinah dwelt there between the cherubims overlooking mercy. One day they brought a 300-year-old walking stick of Aaron's to see who would be the leaders of the Israelite people. And that rod, that Aaron's rod budded in one night in the, in the presence of mercy. One night God can change an old walking stick from an old dead, dry, dull walking stick to a blossoming, blooming, almond-bearing rod. And one day, one day, when they gathered manna, they decided to put some manna in a pot and save it as a memory of what God was going to do. And they put that pot in the ark underneath the mercy seat and it never melted. What I'm telling you is that when you put things in God's hands in mercy, hallelujah, it's going to blossom and it's never going to melt. It's going to be here with you because mercy matters today. Amen? Amen. I'm a Victor Hugo-holic. Okay? I, I, I like Victor Hugo, and I love Les Miserables. I've seen it six times. I wished I could find a place to see it the seventh time today. I love it. First time I ever saw it, I cried, and I cried, and I cried. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a powerful story of forgiveness. There's a guy named Jean Valjean, and... Uh, he, he, he goes to prison for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his hungry family. When he gets out, nobody wants to show him any kindness and any courtesy. But one old preacher, a priest, showed him kindness and let him come to his place, to the house of God. And there he showed him kindness. And John Valjean's payment to that old priest for showing him that kindness was to steal two golden candlesticks. He stole them from him and ran out. He was going to sell them and he was going to do good with those. But he got arrested. He got arrested by a man that was wanting to put him back in prison real desperately. They took him down to the station and they called the priest to come and press charges because he had stolen those golden candlesticks. And when the priest got there, he looked at Jean Valjean and he said, Sir, you forgot these. And he gave him the, the candle holders. They were gold also. He said, You forgot these on your way out. Jean Valjean was, was a different man. It changed him. He realized forgiveness is something that he needed to learn in his life. He took a little girl in called Cosette and he raised her. And she became something powerful, something great, and something glorious in life. But when Jean Valjean died, he held two golden candlesticks in his hands. Remembering the forgiveness and the mercy that he had received from somebody that didn't have to do it. Let me tell you something. Mercy is awesome. David, uh, the other scripture said his mercies are new every morning. When you got up this morning, he threw your old mercies away. And he gave you some new ones today. And you'll use them out by the day's end. You'll get some new ones in the morning. Come on. That's the kind of God I can appreciate. That's the kind of God I can adore. Come on. The Bible said he daily loads us with benefits. 
It's every day. God takes care of us every day. There's no reason for us to doubt and fear. We've got a God that loves us. And sometimes hell just drives me crazy with people because people won't buy into the God package. They, they buy into the devil's business, but they won't buy into God. God is telling me to tell you that His mercy endures forever. Come on, get on this thing. Get on this thing. Get on this thing. Start believing this. Start accepting this. Start receiving it. By faith, open your heart and receive the Word of God to your life today. It's an amazing thing. The second thing I want to tell you, and it's much briefer, the second part of the message is simply this. You can never escape the presence of the Lord. You just can't do it. Put it on the screen. You can't escape the presence of the Lord. There it is. You can't get away from Him. I don't care how hard you try. There was a girl that was raised in church. Walked away from God and became a devout atheist. She said, I'll never trust that God again. And all of a sudden she went through some things about 15, 20 years later. She went through some things. True story. True story. She went through some stuff. And she was so angry at God. She was so mad at God. She was so upset at God. She got in her car and started beating the steering wheel and started cursing God with everything she could curse Him with. Said, you did this to me. Said, that's why I don't believe in you. You did this to me. This has happened in my life. And this has happened... And all of a sudden, God spoke to her and said, I don't mind you cursing me. I don't mind you cursing me at all. That's the first time you spoke to me in 20 years. It sure was good to hear your voice again. David said, where can I go to get away from his presence? Where can I go? If I take the wings of morning, he's there. If I make my bed in hell, he's there. How many's ever slept in that little hot place called hell? I've had some hell moments, but he's there. I can't escape him. He said, the lines, his lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. He's a good God. And every time I turn around, I see goodness. And I see mercy. And they're following me. And they're going to follow me. All the days of my life. There won't be a day that goodness will not be behind me. There won't be a day that mercy won't be behind me. There won't be a day that I'll be walking by myself. You cannot sin so greatly that the light won't find you again. Jesus on the cross when he was crucified. The Bible said there was three hours that the sun did not shine. This is so powerful to me. But then he let the sun shine again. I think it's amazing to let you know that even when they crucified the Savior, when they crucified the Son of God, that the light went out for three hours, but then God said, turn it back on because I love these people too much, even though they just killed the Son of God. What I want to tell you is that how bad do you want to get away from that? How bad do you want to run away from that kind of God? How bad, how fast do you think your feet can carry you? And get away from that. You can't get away from that. So David puts a colon there. He said, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And he puts a colon. And he said, now I'm going to make up my mind. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There are some people now that summer is over. 
and you're in the house of God, I met some of our people that I didn't get to see almost all summer today, and I was so excited. But I want to declare to you, I want to tell you something, that if you have come to church today for the first time, and you've been away from God for a long time, you walk right into the mercy of God in this house. The mercy of God is all around you. It's all around you. God is in this house to help you, to heal you, to, to, to lift you, to bless you. God's in this house today. I can't be any more direct than I am right now. God's in this place and he wants you to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Might as well surrender. Jonah was found in a whale. Prodigal son was found in a pig pen. Elijah was found in a cave. Moses was found in a cleft of a rock. And the Hebrew boys, the Lord said, you need a little help in there? I'm going to send the fourth man. I'm going to send the Son of God down there to help you. And he did. David was in a lion, Daniel was in a lion's den, and Israel was in Babylon, and God found them. You can't get away from God. You can't get away from God. God will meet you at mercy. He really will. God will commune with you there, and He'll provide all things that you need in your life because He understands that we're just flesh and we're just dust. He understands that. And we're human. And God knows that. And I'm not trying to give you a license for sin today. God forbid. But I'm just telling you. I'm tired of hell telling you that you're on your own. You're not. All you got to do is just have a peek back. Just look around. There's mercy and there's goodness. And there's goodness and there's mercy. And you may even say, leave me alone. Get away from me. And they'll probably just get a little closer. Because <laughs> God is not going to let go on you. He won't give up easy. My good friend Dan Dean wrote, you're forever on his mind. He won't give up easy. He's just not the quitting kind. And he's going to be there for you. I close today. I close today. I was invited to speak in a, in a country outside of America several years ago. There was a sweet pastor who was kind of like a missionary pastor there. And he and his wife, Randy, if you'll help me, I appreciate it. They were an older couple. And they had this wayward son. Uh, this one day decided to walk out, just leave. Said he didn't want anything to do with ministry, he didn't want anything to do with God. He was tired of having lived the restricted life of Christianity. And for 10 years they did not see him, did not hear from him, did not know if he was alive or dead. He just left. Had never contacted him, had all of his numbers changed. Could not, could not follow up with him. They contacted the police and there was no help. They went to the newspaper, ran, ran ads and said, if you're this person, please come home. Then the radio, then the TV. If you, see, if you hear me, son, please come home. Your window is open. What they were talking about was the window. When I went to preach for them, they took me down in that basement to, to sleep that night. And they said, here's our son's room. And his name was on the door. She opened the door and there was a window in the basement that the man could just slide through that window. And he could come in home and they would never know it upstairs but they left the window open I slept down the hall and I thought wouldn't it be neat if he came home tonight he didn't but it would it had been so neat it'd been so neat for him to come home but he didn't come home for several years after I left the house but they never gave up hope we prayed that morning we prayed that afternoon I went and preached a crusade for him that next week in a big conference and one Sunday morning, I got the call from him. The mom went to 
the basement in the room. The bed had been slept in. Somebody had been there. She ran upstairs and told her husband. And that night, the mama made a big old roast beef. The boy liked roast beef. It's pretty neat. She didn't make him sauerkraut. She made him roast beef. She knew what he liked. And put it down on a dresser. And during the night, he came again and ate the food and left before morning. Then the mom saw some clothes that he had left that hadn't been washed in forever. And she washed those clothes and starched them and ironed them, hanged them up. And then it happened. He came home one night, slept. And the next morning he came upstairs. And when they saw him, they lost their minds. He said, I never really wanted to come back, Mom and Dad. But he cut on his knees and put his head in his mom's lap and wrapped his arm around his daddy's legs. Said, but your love and mercy would not let me go. And I'm here. Can I stay? The dad, the dad passed away probably about five years after the boy came home. Mm. I didn't cry like this in the first two services. I'm sorry. It's just getting to me. boy went by his dad's desk one day several years later two or three years later and he, he picked up that Bible and he opened it up and he realized what he needed to do yeah you guessed it he's preaching the gospel David tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant home. It had been in storage for about 40 years. He tried to bring it home. He brought it home like the Philistines carried it out. He put it on an ox cart and put some ox on the front of it and tried to bring it in a cart. And when that ox cart hit a a place in the road and kind of lost its balance, that ark like it was going to shift and fall off, Uzzah, a man named Uzzah, reached out and touched it and God struck him dead. Now, many people think that God got angry. It's not, that's not the point. The point is this. Uzzah was the son of a high priest that the Ark of the Covenant stayed in his house for over 20 years. Read about it. Research it. He's a son of a priest. So all, he saw the Ark of the Covenant every day. It was like an old piece of furniture. Like he probably thought, well, I can get a sandwich on this. I can, I can go by and just brush it. And maybe he did when it was in the house. But when it was coming home to glory, when it was coming to Zion, it was different. And it was an old piece of furniture. And I think sometimes some, some people treat this mercy thing like an old piece of furniture. And so they abuse it. They talk to it. They tell it to leave. They tell it to run away. And sometimes, sometimes it acts like it's not there. But I promise you, I promise you, look behind you. 
goodness and mercy. We're going to be following. And so David pouted. Obed-Edom got the ark for 90 days and everything in his house was blessed. And so David heard from the Lord and said, the only, way I want, the only way I want the glory of God to come home, the, the mercy of God to come home is on the shoulders of men. I want people to carry my glory. I want people to carry my mercy. And so I, I want to inoculate you today. I want to vaccinate everybody in this house. We need to be carriers of mercy in this house. We need to be carriers of mercy in this house. You with me? We need to be carriers of mercy. We need to put mercy on our shoulders. We need to bear up under mercy. We need to learn how to give it. We need to learn how to share it. Because if it wasn't for the mercies of God, we'd all be destroyed. But His mercy endures forever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, because your mercy endures forever. It's not going to go away. It's not going to go away. Bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. So when you leave here today, when you walk to the restaurant, when you get in your car and you go, show somebody mercy. Give a little grace. Give a little love. Show them the kindness that they need to have. This world is so full of hate and venom. Somebody needs to be carriers of mercy. We're carrying God's glory to a lost world. And when we come to the house of God on Sunday, let's don't judge each other. Let's let God show mercy to who he will. Let him save who he will. Amen. Can you have your heads bowed and put your hands above your head and clap to that right now and receive the word? Just receive the word. Just receive the word. Now, I want you to stand. I'd like our prayer partners, as many are here that are here, and our staff to come, as many as are here. Just come, and we're going, we're going, to, we're going to bless some people here today that might need, a, might need a lift in your spirit, might need a lift in your heart everybody that can help us out appreciate that so much thank you brother john thank you folks amen amen can we have some more can we get somebody on this side over here thank you brother tom thank you very much brother Corey. would you come just come and help us this morning just come and help us today sir thank you so much thank you amen 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 bow your heads dear father in the name of the lord i want people to see the joy of your mercy and your grace your goodness following them. I want them to understand that this is not a mirage. This is not just something that we're trying to create. Not at all. It's something that we feel very confident about. That you are going to follow us all the days of our life. And we have a covering in the mercy of the, of the Lord. Amen. So I want you that need a lift. Maybe you're praying for people. There's some folks that have kin folks in Puerto Rico that they haven't heard from. We're praying for Puerto Rico today. Maybe you need a lift in your spirit, a lift in your heart. Why don't you come right now and just let us pray for you. Just step out and just let somebody pray for you right now. Come on, let's flood the front of this church today before we go home. Come on, here they come. Here they come. Amen. Here they come. Here they come.